You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and today on the podcast... We are rolling along with our annual Summer Scouting the Enemy series, which is by far the most popular series that we do each and every year. Last week, we kicked things off with a deep dive into the Oregon Ducks to help prime you for Georgia's Week 1 matchup in the Chick-fil-A Kickoff Classic in the ATL. And up today, as we move down the schedule to our next Power 5 opponent, is the South Carolina Gamecocks. Hopes are high in Krakalaki this year, to say the least. And God bless them, but today I will take an in-depth look at just how realistic those hopes are. But first, don't forget to check out my new national college football podcast, Never Graduate. It launched just a couple of weeks ago. We're already up to five episodes to help you guys get primed for the rapidly approaching 2022 college football season. So if you like this podcast, I know you've heard me say this, but if you like this podcast and you still haven't given it a shot, I think you'll like it. I'm pretty confident you'll like Never Graduate if you like our style of in-depth football talk. In fact, if you are a college football fan and you like this podcast, you like our style of football coverage, I'm actually going to go as far as saying I promise you are going to enjoy Never Graduate because it's essentially the same thing just on the national scale. And I mentioned this last week, but I just want to remind you guys again, I'm sure most of you probably noticed this already, but just in case you didn't or if you didn't hear the, the episode earlier in the week and you're a little bit confused, I just want to remind everyone that I will be posting those Never Graduate episodes to two different feeds. I have a whole separate feed for Never Graduate where you can also find those episodes, but I'm also going to be posting those episodes here on this Glory UGA feed just to make it easier for you guys. I actually had some requests from some of you listeners out there asking me if I could do that, just make it a little easier for you. And yeah, I mean, it's a little extra time. It's one more step to load it up into two places, but I am more than happy to do that if that's what you guys want, if that makes it easier for you. We are here to serve you guys and bring you content, so we want to make sure we're doing that in whatever way works best for you guys. And I know that's sometimes different for different people, but we're just trying to make this as accessible as possible for all you guys out there. So just don't be confused. Just don't be confused. You can listen to it on the UGA, the Glory UGA feed. You can listen to it on the Never Graduate feed. It's the exact same show. I'm going to try to label it for you 
when I post them to this Glory UGA feed so that you guys will be able to identify, hey, this is not a Georgia-specific episode. So just look for the Never Graduate episodes. If it says Never Graduate, that's a national episode. Anything else is our usual Georgia-specific content. All right, so South Carolina hopes spring eternal in Columbia, my friends. Say what you want about their fan base, but that is their defining characteristic. They just always believe. They're always there. They always believe. And their fan base, they really, really think they are going to beat us on September 17th. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. They think Shane Beamer is their Kirby Smart. They think Spencer Rattler is a Heisman Trophy contender. They think Jaheim Bell at tight end is better than Brock Bowers. God bless them. I mean, that's about all I can say when it comes to that kind of stuff, guys. I mean, I guess you have to at least respect the passion and the loyalty of the South Carolina fan base, which I really do. I respect them for that. I mean, can you imagine being as irrelevant as South Carolina is year in and year out, outside of what, just that brief Spurrier interlude, and still they keep coming back for more without any sort of abatement in the passion for their team? So honestly, I got respect for that. Really, tip of the cap to those people. But where does this hype come from for this team? Let's start talking about this 2022 Gamecock football team. What is the genesis of all this hype and these expectations and this hope for this South Carolina team? And really, it's a couple of things. I think really leading the charge here is the fact they finished strong to get to a bowl in year one, which any way you slice it, exceed expectations for what they had coming into last season. So there's some excitement about what can they do to build off that finish from last year. And of course, they hit the transfer portal hard. They brought in a bunch of guys, led of course by their new former five-star quarterback, Spencer Rattler, transferring over from Oklahoma. Obviously had some connections with Shane Beamer and a couple of guys on staff when they were over at Oklahoma. So he is now in Columbia. And there's a certain national spotlight that comes with landing a guy like Spencer Rattler, who was this big hotshot five-star prospect coming out of high school. Depending on what recruiting service you subscribe to, the, the number one quarterback recruit in the country when he came out of high school was at Oklahoma, which is a high-profile school, and in a high-profile way, lost his job to another high-profile quarterback, another high-profile five-star guy in Caleb Williams, and then he transfers out, and really just all of that drama grabbed eyeballs. It kind of sucked people in, so there's a, there's a certain spotlight that comes with landing a guy like Spencer Rattler in the transfer portal. And then, of course, there is, as I said a second ago, this belief in Shane Beamer as some sort of coaching prodigy. I mean, obviously, he comes from the bloodlines with with Frank Beamer, and then he's worked for Kirby Smart, worked for Lincoln Riley. So they really believe, they have full-on bought into this notion that Shane Beamer is a budding superstar in the profession, a la Kirby Smart and Lincoln Riley. I don't know if I'm ready to go that far because I don't know what he's done to suggest that he is that guy, but their fans, God bless them, they believe it. And then, of course, you've got the national media just stoking the flames and firing these South Carolina fans up even more than they already are. So all that kind of just combines together to create these, what I believe to be outsized expectations for South Carolina entering the 2022 football season. So why do I think they are outsized expectations? Let's take a deeper look into this team. That's what this episode's all about, taking a deep dive into each of these Power 5 opponents in South Carolina 
they're up today. So if you look at South Carolina, so I did say, in trying to explain where this hype comes from, part of that, I think a big part of the hype for this South Carolina team is how they finished last season, this perception that they finished quote unquote strong. And I know you can't see me right now, but I'm doing air quotes when I say strong. And I'm doing air quotes because I think saying that South Carolina finished strong last year is a little bit of a stretch. That's a little bit of revisionist history. I guess it's all relative to how they were performing before that point, I guess. But, I mean, they did lose to a bad Missouri team down the stretch last year, and they did get shut out by Clemson at home in two of their final three games. But, yeah, sure, I guess they finished with some momentum because they beat Florida and they beat Auburn, which what that is, is, I mean, those are some teams, Auburn and Florida, that they did beat. I guess you got to give them credit for that, but they beat those two teams who are bigger brands and they weren't expected to beat those teams. No one expected them to beat Florida or Auburn. When you're doing your helmet schedule at the beginning of the season, back in 2021, this time last year, no one was marking in a W on South Carolina's schedule when they saw Auburn and they saw that Florida helmet. No one was doing that. No one expected them to win those games, but some way, somehow, they found a way to win those games. And then they go on and they win the Belk Bowl. They beat a North Carolina team that was so disappointing last year. I mean, honestly, I, I think they can make a strong case as the most disappointing team of 2021. I really think you can make that case for North Carolina. Maybe they were kind of like South Carolina. The expectations were just too high for North Carolina coming into last year, and then they kind of came back to reality, and they were who they were. I think South Carolina might see some of that this year. Their expectations aren't as high as North Carolina's were coming into last year. I mean, there are people talking about North Carolina as a potential ACC title contender. Obviously, it did not turn out that way, and so when you have those expectations like North Carolina did coming into the season, and then you fall flat on your face, you go 6-6 six and six in the regular season, well, I mean, you're not going to be so motivated to play in that bowl game. South Carolina was obviously very motivated, and the result was pretty predictable there. But you have to look at the context of this South Carolina team. So when we're saying they finished strong, let's take a, just a deeper dive into the context of how they finished, quote-unquote, strong. So, yeah, they beat Auburn, they beat Florida. Good for them. They, had, they won those games, and I guess you can't take it away from them. They won. But let's take a look at those Auburn and Florida teams. Auburn had TJ Finley at quarterback late in the season. Bo Nix was out for the year and their season was spiraling down the drain. They had not like quite, like maybe completely quit on Brian Harson, but they were pretty close to it. And TJ Finley was just bad. He was just bad last year. And then Florida, they had completely quit on Dan Mullen. You know, that noted great leader of men, right? Dan Mullen, that guy. They had completely quit on Dan Mullen. That was a team that was a shell of themselves. I adamantly believe that if South Carolina had played Auburn and Florida in the first half of the season before they had quit, before the injuries took their toll, I firmly believe that they would have lost both of those games. Because Auburn and Florida, you know, they had their issues last year, obviously, but they were both pretty significantly better than South Carolina when it comes to talent on hand on that roster. In fact, I would probably go as far as saying I think that both Auburn and Florida would have blown South Carolina out if they would have played them in the first month, month and a half of the season and not when they did late in the year. So I, I really think it was just a function of where South Carolina played them, when they played them, where they fell in the schedule, and just the circumstances of those Auburn and Florida teams. And South Carolina really benefited from that. And, I, and good, good for them. They I guess deserve some form of credit for winning those games, but let's not act 
like that was the Florida team that was playing in September, or that was the Auburn team that Georgia played in October. It emphatically was not. Those are just facts, guys. I mean, you have to consider that. South Carolina fans do not want to hear that, and if I was a Carolina fan, I guess I wouldn't either. So I don't begrudge them, but if we're going to look at this objectively, you have to factor that in. And then as I said, you know, going to the bowl game, the Belk Bowl, they go be a severely disappointed North Carolina team in a classic motivation spot in the Belk Bowl. The Cox were obviously motivated because they had exceeded expectations. No one expected them to get into a bowl game, so they were pumped up about it. And the Tar Heels were just uninterested because they had fallen so short of preseason expectations. So they were really on like two opposite ends of the preseason expectation spectrum. And what you saw in that Belk Bowl was just a classic case of a motivation factor. That's really what it was. I mean, you see that year in and year out, but they won the game. Give them credit. They won the game. So there's that. But if that is the bedrock of your expectations, the foundation of your expectations going into the new football season, I really question how strong that foundation is. Because again, there's context to that. I'm just not so sure how much stock I would put into this quote unquote strong finish. And then, as I said, you've got Spencer Rattler. He's another big component of this, of of this preseason hype, preseason expectation, preseason hope. The former five-star, the one who was supposed to be the next in line of Lincoln Riley's great Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks until he wasn't, until he got beat out and run out of town by a true freshman. And that in and of itself does not mean that Rattler isn't good. It doesn't mean he isn't an upgrade over the ragtag bunch of guys they tried it out alternately last year at quarterback, because he is. He is better than those guys. There's no doubt in my mind when it comes to that. But let's also be real here at the same time. At no point has he performed at a at a consistent five-star level at the college level. He hasn't. He's still a good quarterback. He's been good. I mean, even last year, he was good relative to the rest of the country. He just wasn't good enough to make the playoffs, and he wasn't better than Caleb Williams. So let's just kind of put that into perspective. We'll get into the offense. We'll get into Rattler a little bit more here as we go on. But at the end of the day, this was still a team last year that was outscored, outrushed, outpassed, outgained by their opponents. So as you can tell, I'm not putting as much stock into how they finished as the South Carolina faithful are, obviously. I mean, who would expect that, right? Because the totality of the season told us they were a bad football team who just lucked up and got a few teams at the right time late last season. But here's where I do agree with the Gamecock fans. I do agree with them that they will be improved this year. I'm not going to disagree there. I think they will be better this year. I think that's pretty clear. I just don't think they will be as good as a lot of their fans do. So let's dig a little deeper to explain why I expect them to be better, but still not close to a contender of any sort. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, let's dig into the South Carolina offense. And let's start by looking at some numbers from last year. I couldn't really give you many numbers for Oregon because there's just no relevance there because they have an entirely new coaching staff and all those guys transferred out. I didn't see any reason to do that. South Carolina, there is carryover. A lot of the same players, same coaching staff. So let's take a look at how they performed offensively last year. And uh, ooh, it's tough. I mean, I guess the only way I can describe it is that they were just flat out dreadful offensively last year. They were 13, so not last place, but so close to being dead last in the SEC in yards per play. They were 11th in the league in yards per rush, 9th in yards per pass attempt, 101st nationally in points per play, 104th nationally in offensive efficiency, and 97th nationally in explosiveness. So any way you slice it, any way you look at it, they were dreadful offensively, and that was the core of their issues. And what was at the root of those offensive issues? Well, I mean, it was poor quarterback play. That was the primary culprit. I mean, it was a revolving door at quarterback for them all year. It was supposed to be Luke Doty to start the year. They were high on him last year, man. He did some decent things for them at the tail end of the 2020 season. If you remember when we played them in Columbia, he actually started that football game. But he got hurt in the preseason, hurt his foot, and was not available for the early portion of the schedule. He did play some against us, but he wasn't really much of a factor because he was still coming back from injury and he wasn't 100%. So what they had to do to start this season is they had to take a guy who had decided to give up football and was transitioning into the coaching ranks and was basically a support staffer, a guy by the name of Zeb Nolan. If you're from the Athens area, he used to play at Oconee County High School. So a local here around Athens, they had to take him from the coaching ranks, the support staff ranks and say, hey man, like you want to give football like just one more shot? Like your old playing days, you, you maybe put a helmet back on. And uh, he jumped at the opportunity and he was, I mean, not good. He wasn't terrible, but he certainly wasn't good. And then Doty came back a little bit, but he wasn't what they expected him to be because he, I don't know if he was ever really 100%. He got hurt again, so he really didn't factor in much at all. They went with Jason Brown to carry on Joyner, who was kind of recruited as a, as a dual threat guy early in his career, but transitioned more to receiver. They were just moving guys around. I mean, honestly, like in the bowl game, it was it was Nolan some, it was Joyner some. They were just doing all sorts of crazy things at quarterback, and they still found a way to win that game. Honestly, it was a tough way for, for North Carolina to prep because they didn't know who the quarterback was going to be, and uh, Carolina was able to kind of just pull a fast one on there. But that's where Spencer Rattler does give them a shot in the arm coming into 2022. And that's also why I do expect South Carolina to be, I mean, honestly, significantly better on offense because they were so bad last year. There's, I don't want to say there's nowhere to go but up, but almost at that point. And Rattler, you know, for all the issues he might have had at Oklahoma, which, I mean, there were some issues, obviously. He got beat out, lost his job, had a transfer. 
he's still light years better than anyone that played from that position last year. And Rattler does have some weapons to work with on offense. It's not like their cupboard's completely bare. They have some weapons. You know, I give the South Carolina fans some grief for swearing on all that is holy to anyone who will listen that Jaheim Bell is a better tight end than Brock Bowers. I give them grief for that because that's just not true. But I mean, that doesn't mean Jaheim Bell isn't awesome. The dude is awesome. He's a fantastic tight end. He is Brock Bowers-esque in the athleticism that he brings to the tight end position. I just don't think he showed anything last year that would suggest that he is quite on Brock Bowers' level. I guess it is fair to say that he did not really have anyone worth anything at quarterback throwing him the football. That's fair, but still, he just didn't showcase the ability to do some of the things that Brock Bowers is able to do, especially when it comes to ball skills. He had just a hair under 500 yards, receiving 497 yards and 16.6 yards per attempt. So he does give them some explosiveness at the tight end position. And again, make sure you hear me when I say this. The dude is awesome. He's very, very, very good. I'm not trying to discount how good he is. I just think Brock Bowers is better. That's me. South Carolina fans disagree. That's fine. I think we'll probably put that to rest this year. But he's a very good player, and he's a playmaker for that offense that Spencer Rattler has to work with. But that's not it. Josh Van might not be a top-shelf, true, alpha, number one wide receiver, like in the truest sense, in the vein of like a Jamison Williams type guy or a George Pickens, but he's still a damn good wideout. He's a crafty vet with really good hands at 679 yards receiving last year. He's a really, really good player. Now, do, do I put him at the top of the SEC, like the top five guys in the league at the wide receiver position? No, I don't think he's that kind of guy, but I still think he's really good and he's a playmaker that's going to do good things for them and another weapon for Spencer Rattler to work with. I'm also really high on Marshawn Lloyd's potential at running back. I think he can be a pretty big-time SEC back. I follow recruiting very closely, which I know most of you out there also do, and I'm sure you probably remember that name. We did recruit him pretty heavily. He ended up going to South Carolina. I do think that we could have had him ultimately if we wanted him. That was the year, if you guys remember, it was 2020. That was the year that we got Kendall Milton, and then we also had Zach Evans committed. We obviously had both those guys higher on the board than Marshawn Lloyd, but Marshawn Lloyd was a guy that was in the picture for us. We were recruiting him, and he was a backup option if we didn't land a guy like Zach Evans or Tank Bigsby, and obviously we know how that all played out. I don't want to rehash all that, but that's why he did not end up in Athens, and he ended up at South Carolina, but he's still a really good player. I would have been very happy in that class if we would have ended up with Marshawn Lloyd. I thought he was a very good player then. I still believe that he's a very good player. He has not completely broken out yet, hasn't had those opportunities, but I think this year might be the year you see Marshawn Lloyd take his game to the next level and become a pretty big time SEC back. And then the one-two punch with him this year is going to be a guy named Christian Beale Smith, who I think is a really underrated pickup for them that no one's talking about. Remember Kenneth Walker last year, guys, right? For Michigan State? one of the best running backs in the country, who was a Heisman Trophy candidate really all season long and was the guiding force, the driving force behind that Michigan State resurgence last year. Well, no one knew who Kenneth Walker was before last year, at least no one really on a national scale because he came from Wake Forest. Wake Forest has actually been pretty good lately, but still it's Wake Forest, a small school. No one really cares about them. No one really pays attention to them. I mean, their fan base doesn't even really pay attention to them because like, it's Wake Forest. No one cares. But I knew who Kenneth Walker was because I watched a lot of college football. I knew a lot of I know a lot of you probably knew who Kenneth Walker was. And when I saw that Michigan State landed him and knowing the kind of offense that Jay Johnson and Mel Tucker wanted to establish there in East Lansing, I was like, oh, that might be a pretty good pickup for them. And he exploded on the scene. Now, did I expect him to be that good? No, I didn't expect him to be what he ended up being, but I thought he'd be a really good pickup for them. 
Well, I bring that up because Christian Beal Smith also comes from Wake Forest. So Kenneth Walker went to Michigan State, and that gave Christian Beal Smith the chance to be the number one guy at Wake Forest last year. Now, I do not think that he is Kenneth Walker level good, but he's still a really good running back. And the reason he's not at Wake Forest is he thought that he was going like he was gonna go to the NFL draft. He basically told the coaches, "I'm I'm going pro," and he changed his mind. And he came and uh, when he came back, and he was like, "Hey." You know, I want to come back. They're like, hey, man, like, we don't have any room for you. We don't have a scholarship for you. We've already went to the transfer portal, brought some guys in. So if you want to walk on this year, that's fine. And he didn't want to do that, obviously. So he ended up transferring. Where does he transfer? He transfers to South Carolina. So he is there now to split carries with Marshawn Lloyd. And again, I'm not trying to make Christian Beale Smith out to be something he's not. I'm not sitting here telling you that he's going to be Kenneth Walker. I do not believe it. it's a different kind of back anyway. He's shorter, 5'9", 205, something like that. But he's a good back. He's a good productive back. He's done the power five level for a good weight forest team. And to have him come in there as like your number two guy behind Marshawn Lloyd, I think that's a good pickup. So I think they have some weapons, not just a receiver, not just a tight end, but also at the running back position. They also returned their entire offensive line from last year. But I'm not sure if that's a good or bad thing. It's one of the situations where it's like they were really bad last year. I guess you have a year of experience coming back, and that's good. You expect them to be improved. But man, they just they weren't good last year. They only had six 100-yard rush games last year. They put Kevin Harris in witness protection. Remember that name, guys? Kevin Harris back in 2020. I know it was a COVID year, but was the leading rusher in the SEC. Did you hear anything about him last year? No, you didn't. That dude was in witness protection because they could not run the football. And it might be fair to say a big part of the, those running game issues might have been the fact that they just had so many issues in the past game, but they also gave up 32 sacks last year. So this was a bad offensive line. Sure, everyone comes back, and I guess you can look at a cup half full if you're a South Carolina fan. I guess that's probably what you're going to do. But there's also a flip side of this where maybe they're just not going to be good again because they were terrible last year. I guess I would expect them to be improved to some degree with the experience of another year. And they do have some nice skill pieces. But if this offense is going to be like significantly better this year, if they're going to take that big jump, they've got to find a way to get the run game going. They only averaged 3.7 yards per rush last year, which was 95th nationally. And again, that's when they returned the league's leading rusher, from 2020, they still could not get the ground game going. So I do think they have some good pieces back there. But when your offensive line is as bad as it has been, I don't know, man. That's 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 an interesting situation for them to have this year. But of course, you know, kind of to answer on the question here, I mentioned it, but the real question for this offense, and really I think for the entire team, is who is the real Spencer Rattler? Will the real Spencer Rattler please stand up? You know, in 2020, back in his first year as a starter, he started off a little shaky, mainly decision-making issues. Did some good things, but mainly decision-making issues. He had three picks and a loss to Kansas State. He actually had five picks in a three-game span. They went one and two over those three games. And then he was largely good the rest of the way. Not spectacular, but good. You saw some signs of that five-star promise. And then last season... He just went back to making a lot of those poor decisions that he made early in 2020. And it wasn't just throwing balls where they shouldn't have been thrown. When you say poor decisions, that's usually what people think is like just forcing balls. And that's part of it. He did do that. But more than that, I mean, it was also just hesitating, just not making throws when he should have been making throws, holding the ball, not seeing the field. 
he just didn't perform at a consistently high level. I mean, he's still been good. His numbers at Oklahoma are still good relative to the rest of the country. I mean, 71% completion percentage, which is kind of what you see with Lincoln Riley offenses. It's just built for quarterbacks to get easy completions. A lot of RPOs built into their offense. 8.75 yards per attempt. That's good. That's slightly above average. 39 touchdowns to 12 interceptions. So essentially a three to one touchdown to interception ratio. So obviously even Oklahoma, even though he lost his job, he was a good player. And he's again, going to be a far better option than anyone they had at quarterback last year for South Carolina. His presence should certainly elevate this team. The question is going to be how much, how much does the presence of Spencer Rattler elevate this South Carolina offense in this South Carolina team. You also think, guys, he he was good at Oklahoma, but they also don't have Lincoln Riley run the offense. Lincoln Riley is one of the foremost offensive minds in the entire country. I know South Carolina fans would sit there and say, well, it's better that he's away from Lincoln Riley. I mean, obviously there was something there in the relationship. It wasn't working well. Like they just weren't really meshing. And so a change of scenery is going to bring out the true talent, Spencer Riley. I guess that's one way to look at it. Again, that's cup, cup half full. But there is an alternate way to look at this. The cup half empty viewpoint would say, well, I mean, he was an elite with one of the best play callers and best offensive minds in the entire country. So how is he going to be any better without that guy? That's another way to look at it. I know Carolina fans don't look at it that way, but that's an alternate viewpoint. But at the end of the day, I do expect South Carolina to be improved offensively by a pretty good margin because, again, they were really, really, really bad last year. They're going to be improved. I have zero doubt about that. They do have some playmakers on offense. I don't think they have as many playmakers as the true contenders in the SEC have, as many as we have, as many as Tennessee has, as many as a team like Texas A&M has. They don't have that level of playmaker ability on their offense, but they have some guys that can make some plays that would lead you to believe this offense absolutely should be improved going into 2022. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Now let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball. And defensively, I think they have a chance to be all right, to be pretty good, at least in the front seven. I do expect their offense to to lead this team this year, but defensively, they also have some pieces that I think can perform at a higher level than they have to this point in their careers. They were fine last year defensively. Actually, I, I take that back. They weren't even fine last year. They were pretty bad defensively last year. I guess they were better defensively-ish kind of than they were on offense, 
but they were still bad on defense. They were 12th in the SEC in yards per play allowed at 5.63, 12th in yards per rush allowed, 4.69, 69th nationally in points per play allowed. Their pass defense was their saving grace. That's where they were statistically elite last season, but even that is kind of misleading. Yes, in terms of yards per game throwing the football they were number one in the sec they only gave 180.8 yards per game which was first in the sec in passing yards allowed but if you take a closer look at it and you look at the efficiency numbers tells a little bit of a different story they were sixth in the sec in yards per attempt you know, seven yards per attempt they were fifth in the league in completion percentage allowed and fourth in the league in quarterback rating against. So, I mean, you put all that together, and they were still good. They were certainly better against the pass than they were against the run last year. They were flat out bad against the run. But when you look at the strength of that defense last year, which was their pass defense, I don't know if just those raw numbers tell you the full story. I think you need to look a little deeper and go into into the context of their pass defense because if you look at it guys they played eight teams last year that were 67th nationally or worse in pass offense they played two teams that were 99th or worse so yeah they were good and i guess you give them credit that they were good against the pass they were certainly better against the pass they were against the run but i still don't know if they were truly elite the the raw number of first in the sec and pass defense that you'll see kind of thrown about that says that they were elite but a little bit of a closer look might reveal something a little bit different there. But when you look at the returning person on this defense, the first thing I look at is their defensive line. Good old Will Muschamp recruited well for them, guys. And, and on the defensive line, really more than anywhere else. I mean, they are, they have a defensive line that is littered with former four and five star prospects. I mean, let me just list off some of these names. Zach Pickens, right? Former five star prospect a couple years back. Jordan Birch. We all wanted Jordan Birch. He's at South Carolina. He's still there. Rick Sandage is another name that a lot of us wanted back in recruiting, what, three or four years ago. Hasn't done a ton there, but still a four-star prospect. Alex Huntley, another guy. And then you've got Jordan Strachan on uh, the edge, who is their top pass rusher. Had 10 and a half sacks at Georgia State in a COVID-shortened year in 2020. They have some guys that can play up front on that defensive line. Now, none of those guys has played to their high school rating to this point. Zach Pickens has had moments, but he hasn't played to that level consistently. Jordan Birch is still young, so there's still some hope for, for him, but he wasn't dominant last year or really even close to it. Sandage has been MIA most of his career. Alex Huntley, I thought, did some good things for them last year. Um, then an inside linebacker, they're fine. They're okay. Sherrod Green is a guy you hear people talk about the most at inside linebacker, and he's He's good. He's an old school downhill thumper who doesn't run especially well. Brad Johnson next to him runs a little bit better in my opinion, but neither one of those guys who are projected to start for the inside linebacker are all SEC type guys in my opinion. I have not seen that from Sherrod Green. He's played a lot for them. Solid player, but I mean, guys like that are a dime a dozen, honestly. You're not going to win SEC titles. You're not going to contend for titles with those kind of guys at inside linebacker. You're just not. They're not elite talents. Now, they do return a lot from a secondary that did put up good numbers. Again, they this, the past numbers, past defense numbers were good last year. Misleading, maybe, but they still put up good numbers, and they do return a lot from that secondary. Cam Smith is the guy back there I thought was their best player in the secondary last year. He played some corners, some nickel for them. He had three interceptions, 11 passes deflected. He is back, and there's some intrigue, I guess, regarding where he's going to end up playing. Is he going to play cornerback? Is he going to play nickel? Where does he play? But regardless, wherever he ends up finding his home, he's 
going to be good. He was their best player last year in the secondary, and I expect that to be the case again this year. They also returned Darius Rush at cornerback and Marcellus Dial as well. So it's really Cam Smith, Rush, and Dial who are going to be the three guys that are going to, in, in some combination, play nickel and cornerback for South Carolina. And they all were good last year. At safety, they have some experience coming back. R.J. Roderick is coming back. He seems like he's been there forever for South Carolina. And he's one of those safeties that is kind of like your classic strong safety, old school strong safety, where he's good in run support when he can attack downhill. He's really a box safety. That's what he is. But he's an absolute liability in coverage. He's very, very stiff in coverage. He does not have great overall athleticism. So when you get him matched up on a guy like, oh, I don't know, Brock Bowers, or oh, I don't know, Arik Gilbert, that's going to be a problem for South Carolina. We're going to win that matchup 10 times out of 10. That's just going to happen if we can scheme that up, which, you know, Todd Monkey's pretty good at that, right? Pretty good at scheming guys open. So I imagine we will target him early and often in that game, and they are not going to have an answer for our tight ends, our slot receivers, our running backs, if R.J. Roderick is the one trying to cover them in man coverage. In fact, I think they would be insane to even attempt to do that. I don't imagine they will. I think they understand the personnel there. But if they want to want to gamble and they want to start getting a little risky and they want to get aggressive trying to pressure Stetson and, and try to force us into some mistakes and they're playing man coverage behind that, as long as we can protect Stetson long enough, we're going to absolutely burn R.J. Roderick alive, 100%. He's got no chance, no chance at all. But in general, in that secondary, they do have a lot of experience returning. They have, I mean, really, it's all juniors and seniors back there for them. And they have a lot of experience and a lot of guys that have played a lot of football and done some good things like Cam Smith and Rush and Dial at cornerback. Roderick is good at certain things, just not really pass coverage, I think is what you have to kind of force him to do when you play South Carolina. So, And the final analysis of this South Carolina football team, again, I do expect them to be improved in 2022. I get it to a degree why the Gamecock fans are excited. Their hopes for improvement, I would say they're not entirely without merit. I I mentioned, especially offensively, I do think they have some reason to be excited. You have Spencer Rattler coming in who will unquestionably be better than everyone they had playing quarterback last year. So that alone should upgrade the offense and upgrade the team. The question remains, how good is he going to actually be? Who is the real Spencer Rattler? But they'll be better offensively because of him. And they do have some playmakers to work with on offense. And then you factor in, it is year two of the Shane Beamer tenure. The culture is more established. The schemes are more established. They've been able to work out some of the kinks, the game day kinks, which are things that you have to work out in year one. And then of course, yes, Spencer Rattler does raise their ceiling. But Let's also, at the same time, not forget where this team is coming from. It's not like they were 8-4 and four or 9-3 and three last year. Like, the South Carolina fans want you to kind of believe that they were. That's kind of how they're acting, but they weren't that. They still have a long way to go to be considered even a good football team. Their total yardage margin last year was in the negative. That's terrible. They were minus 240. Their scoring margin was in the negative. That's also not good. They were minus 1.4 points per game last year. They beat Vandy and East Carolina by a combined four points. They were not good last year, guys. It took Florida quitting and Auburn's team just falling apart at the end of last year for them to even sneak into a bowl game. It was a miracle from heaven that that was even able to happen. And they still got smashed 
by every good team they played last year. There's three games, I would say, the toughest games they had in their schedule last year. Georgia, A&M, and Clemson. In those three games, they were outscored 114 to 27, and they were outgained 1,332 yards to 695 yards. Almost doubled up in the total yardage margin in those three games. And then this whole idea that they are going to present a truly legitimate upset threat to Georgia week three in Columbia is very, very interesting to me. I know that the Georgia team in 2022 is not going to be the same team that took the field and won the national championship last season. I also know that the South Carolina team taking the field in 2022 is not the same team that sued up for them last season. I get that. We lost some guys. They gained some guys. That's true. But this notion that the guys that we lost and the players that they gained are going to compensate for the massive gulf that separated these two teams last year is honestly quite comical to me. I mentioned this on the episode that Charlie and I did at the end of last week, recapping SEC Media Days, and one of the things that she brought up for me to respond to on that that episode was that there were multiple people at SEC Media Days, these these national talking heads, these SEC personalities on, on SEC Network, that were predicting Georgia to lose to a multitude of different teams this season. Alternately, there were people predicting us to lose to Kentucky, to Tennessee, and then, of course, South Carolina, which has been a relatively popular upset pick throughout the entire offseason. That was not news to me. I'd heard many people do that. I think Takeo Spikes was the most recent one in his debut appearance on the SEC Network to throw his hat into that South Carolina upsets Georgia ring. But what I said in response to that question at least as it pertains to South Carolina, was that these two teams were not even remotely close last year. They weren't in the same solar system. Let me just give you a couple of numbers in case you missed that episode. And if, even if you heard it, let me reiterate this. We were plus 2,625 yards last year in our total yardage margin, meaning that we outgained our opponents by 2,600 yards. South Carolina was minus 240 in their yardage margin, which means they were outgained by 240 yards on the season. So if you put those numbers together, we were 2,865 yards better than them in our yardage margin, almost 3,000 yards better than South Carolina. With our scoring margin, we outscored opponents by over four touchdowns a game, 28.4 points per game, which also, by the way, includes games against a very, very good, if not elite Clemson defense in week one a fantastic Michigan defense, and then, oh yeah, two games against the number two team in the country, the Alabama Crimson Tide. South Carolina played one of those teams, Clemson, at the end of the year, at home, by the way, not at a neutral site, and they got shut out 30 to nothing. But we outscored our opponents by 28.4 points per game. South Carolina, on the other hand, was outscored by their opponents by 1.4 points per game. So add that up, that's essentially a 30 point per game margin better than what South Carolina was last year. So yes, I understand that they have upgraded at quarterback. I fully agree with that assessment. They have upgraded quarterback. That's clear. Spencer Rattler is better than any option that they had all of last year. Zero doubts about that. I am not arguing that point. It's year two of the Shane Beamer tenure, which means that they should be more comfortable within the system, the offensive, defensive systems, the culture in general. I understand all of that. We are losing some players. That makes sense. We're losing a bunch of first-round draft picks, the number one overall draft pick. All that makes sense. But you know what? We still have far more talent than them. We've recruited for 
five, six years now at a significantly higher level than South Carolina could ever remotely dream of. Spencer Rattler is one thing. That's one player. It is the most important position on the field. I'll grant them that. But these two teams each have 85 players on scholarship. Our 85 players on scholarship are leaps and bounds better than the players that South Carolina has to work with. So th- this idea that Spencer Rattler, as, as much as he will improve their offense, that he is going to account for essentially a 3,000-yard differential in yardage margin last year and a 30 points per game margin from last year, that his presence is going to close the gap that much, I find to be borderline insane. So while, yeah, sure, there is reason to reasonably hope that South Carolina will be better in 2022, I would also strongly urge the Gamecock faithful to not get too far ahead of themselves and just temper those expectations some. Seven and five is possible. I don't think that's out of the question. It will take an upset or two, but it's certainly possible with the improvements they're going to see, especially on offense. But even that is going to take some doing. I think this is very well going to be a case where the team is going to be better than it was. You see this every year. There's usually a team or two that they're actually better than they were the year before, but their record doesn't say so. Their record does not indicate that because what's going to happen for South Carolina this year is they're not going to luck up. They're not going to play two teams at the end of the season that had just quit like Florida and Auburn have. And absent that, I just don't know if the record is going to be any better than it was last year. If I had to put my money on it, I'd probably pin them at about six and six this year, which is exactly what they were last year. And I'll be very curious to see at the end of the year, what is the narrative around South Carolina and Shane Beamer if they don't have this big year two surge that everyone is expecting them to have? What is the narrative going to be when they still get smashed by every good team that they play? Are they still going to find ways to make excuses for them? Maybe, probably, honestly, but I'm still interested to see how, how it plays out anyway. But that's all I got for you today, guys. That is the South Carolina Gamecocks. Curtis is still going to be out of pocket for the next week or so. He's got the bar exam tomorrow, actually. I'm recording this Monday night. So Tuesday and Wednesday are his bar exam dates. Let's wish him luck, guys. Let's put some positive vibes out into the universe for that guy. He's worked very hard. So I am, and I am rooting for him like crazy. So he's got that. And then he is going to be taking a very much deserved vacation for I think four or five days after that so he'll be back towards the end of next week and hopefully we'll be able to get him back on when he gets back but in the meantime Charlie is being awesome and she's going to be covering for him so she'll be back with me later on this week and we're going to do another mailbag episode guys it's been two or three weeks since we've done one We've had some preview stuff that we wanted to get through. We still have a lot more 2022 season preview stuff coming for you guys over the next couple of weeks, but we also wanted to work in another mailbag because the questions, they keep coming in. In fact, somebody sent me a DM the other day and asked me if we were still taking questions. And yes, the answer is always yes. We're always taking questions. This show is for you guys. So we want to make sure we're discussing whatever it is that you want to hear us discuss. We want to give you a voice in the podcast. So keep those questions coming. There's been a lot of news on the recruiting front, on the team news front, all sorts of stuff going on. Fall camp starts here in about a week and a half. So I know you guys have some questions and we want to do our best to make sure to answer those here on the podcast. So we'll do that later on this week. So send them in. You can hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can email us 
at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Instagram as well. So whatever works for you guys, get those questions to us and we will answer as many of them as we possibly can later on this week. So thank you guys for hanging out with me here today. I always appreciate the support. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>